Welcome back to Ascend Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in Hebrews chapter 12. It reads, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. As we jump in here to center our attention on Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to focus on verses 1 and 2. These verses really help us to transition what he has been saying about these Old Testament believers and make sure we understand what our response is. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, all of the people we've just looked at, we're called to lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we look at this, we see that there are several steps to us living our life of faith. 
The first is setting aside sin. The second is running the race with endurance. And the third is fixing our eyes on the example of Jesus. Those three abilities in the Christian's life will allow them to move forward in faith. By setting aside their sin, they're going to be removing the things that are pulling them away from their pursuit of God and are going to allow them to pursue him in a greater sense. When we preached through this passage and we talked about this in our student ministry time, we talked about the fact that if you're running a race, the last thing that you want is extra weight. You don't want to have a backpack on. You don't want to have weights on as you're running because it's going to slow you down. It's going to keep you from going at your optimal pace. So you have to set aside the weights, the sins that are hanging on us and that are pulling us back from doing what God desires us to do. And then we actually have to run. We actually have to get into the race. We have to take one foot and put it in front of the other, and we have to move forward with what God is calling us to do. We have to be willing to walk in faith. We have to be willing to run in faith according to the way in which God has revealed himself to us. And then kind of the fuel that allows us to continue to move forward in that process is the fact that we're able to fix our eyes on Jesus. A lot of times for us, it's hard for us to understand how our motivation to pursue godliness or to live in a godly manner can be centered on our ability to focus on Jesus because we struggle with the fact that Jesus was fully God and was unable to really sin and be deterred by many of the things that we experience here in the world. But when we focus so much on that, we forget the fact that he was also fully man and was able to experience the suffering and the hardships of being a man. And so as we look to him as the founder and the perfecter of our faith, we need to remember that in his humanity, he experienced the hardships and sufferings and difficult things that we experience as well. So we can rightly look to him who endured these things, especially the way in which he suffered unjustly on the cross, and we can use that as an ability for us to understand how we rightfully endure the hardships of the world so that we can represent God in all we do. By doing that, we display that we understand that we're waiting for the salvation that is yet to be given to us, and we're waiting for the kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will be there when we are where Jesus is, at the right hand of God, before his throne and in his presence. And so as we focus here on Hebrews chapter 12, I hope that that is an encouragement to your soul, that it is an encouragement to your day, as you're able to understand, hey, I can be involved in three big things today, setting aside the sin that's keeping me from pursuing God, running the race to pursue him, and when I'm discouraged and needing more fuel, fixing my eyes on the example of Jesus and following him as I seek to be able to honor God in all I do today. As far as a question from this passage, I want us to center on why is Esau singled out in this middle section as a person who is immoral? What is it about him and his story and his situation that makes him a good example for the author of Hebrews to draw from to display his point about us pursuing God and pursuing the things that he has to offer? When we look at Esau's story, we know that Esau was involved with the situation with his brother where he sold his birthright for a single meal, a foolish decision, giving away 
the extra part of the inheritance that he was deserving for a single meal because he said, I'm going to die if I don't have this food now. So his impatience, his lack of desire to do what's needed to be done to provide for his needs that he could have done for himself, and his desire then to receive it back is a center of the story of Jacob and Esau. But with Esau, we have an example of a person who did regret what he did, but does not display true repentance. He is upset that he has lost something, and he wants back what he has lost, but he's not willing to do what must be done to receive it back. He's an example of a person who willfully sins against God and is not given a second chance because he continues with the bitterness and the hardness of his heart. We see the anger of Esau. We see the way in which he hates and despises his brother, so much so that his brother flees. When we think about Esau and what the author of Hebrews is doing is centering our focus on him as an individual who displays the opposite of what is supposed to be taking place. He is not striving for peace with everyone, verse 14, and he's not striving for the holiness to see the Lord. He is displaying bitterness. He is displaying trouble, and he's displaying this attitude of immorality or unholiness. And so he is centered in on the example of what not to do, kind of the antithesis of what we saw in the last chapter of the people's faith that we are to imitate. So be like these people, the great cloud of witness, but do not be like the immoral people who are in here, of which we have shown Esau to be an example of that. And so that's what we see as the author's purpose for using Esau. Certainly there are sexually immoral people or unholy people who he could have picked for him to display that issue for us. But I believe Esau is such a good example because it displays the battle that's taking place in people's minds. He realizes he's done something wrong, but he's not moved to the point of repentance to move forward. He wrestles with it. He wants back what he's lost, but he's not willing to do what God has told him to do. He's not willing to reconcile with his brother. He's not willing to do those things that he must do to improve his situation, but instead is resulting in anger and bitterness and envy and jealousy and all of these other ungodly characteristics. And so as we look at the scriptures here, there's a lot in this chapter that we could focus in on. We've got Abel mentioned here. We've got some things that we could look at him with. We've got a development of this whole idea of the theology of God's discipline in our lives. Whatever it is that God is drawing your attention to today as you read through and listen through this chapter, I pray that you would continue to cultivate the discipline of studying God's word curiously answering the questions that you have in your life, and using the resources and the people around you to help you to be able to understand the way in which God reveals himself to you today. Know today you are loved. You're-